How y'all doing? Good. Having a good summer so far? It's been kind of chilly. Wow. Texas summer is here. Leonard Leachman. Nice to see you, friend. It's been a while. Good to have you here. Leonard and I met, wow, 20 years ago? Longer? In a bar. <laughs> First time we met. The bar was so loud, he and I talked for like an hour. I didn't hear a single thing he said. <laughs> and I still remember first Sunday you ever came to this church you were back there you were early that's how I knew you were new <laughs> and with the most humble heart he said to me is it alright that I be here <laughs> like, we created this church for you so it's really nice to see you I got to unite him and his wife in marriage he and his wife adopted two children from the orphanage that we serve in Nigeria. He and I have been to Nigeria a few times. We have some stories to tell. Brother, thanks. It's just warmed my heart to see you here. Thanks for being here. Sorry about that. Just a little, little moment. <laughs> so um, a few weeks ago, I introduced the new topic around here, and that was a look at what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, in particular for the summer, we're going to explore the idea of how to become more like Jesus. And many of you may recall that I uh, began the discussion with inviting you to take a survey with us. And the survey was just four simple questions. And it provided you a complete anonymity to answer the questions as honestly as you, as you would um, choose to. And it was just a way to kind of get us started for the summer in the discussion of becoming more like Jesus. And um, in the survey, um, we were looking at six character traits of Jesus. There's many character traits of Jesus. We were going to say, let's just choose six as maybe the most predominant virtues that we see displayed in the life of Jesus. And to ask ourselves, would we be willing to lean into one of those character traits this summer personally to uh, learn more about it, to um, begin practicing or trying to do a better job at practicing that virtue and to ask God to be at work in our life regarding that particular virtue. And if you haven't taken the survey yet, there's still one more opportunity on the cover of your copy of the creek that you received in your uh on your way in this morning there's a qr code just follow that qr code and again it's a completely anonymous survey it's four simple questions just a way for you to kind of focus on what it is that you might give yourself to this summer and the the character qualities that we're looking at is the jesus is compassionate asking the question am i a compassionate person like truly compassionate. Jesus is grace, gracious. His life was characterized by grace. Am I a gracious person in how I respond and treat other people? Uh, Jesus is humble. Am I humble? Jesus is unselfish. Am I unselfish? We looked at that last week. Uh, devoted and forgiving. 
So it's been interesting. A couple of you have uh, shared with me uh, how you responded to the survey. I had one woman tell me that what she was going to work on this summer is being more gracious. And the way that she was going to practice that is she said that she wasn't going to drive for the entire summer. <laughs> it's not even going to get in her car. I appreciated that. I, I doubt that that's really the extreme she'll go to. That's, but I love the spirit that I, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So we've gotten the initial results from the survey back. And I, I just want to show you something. I found it really interesting. The number of people who completed the survey to date is 121. So it, it's not everybody, but it provides a pretty healthy cross-section of participants in the life of our congregation. Um, one of the questions, first question is, how much time do you spend daily learning about Jesus, doing something to cultivate kind of your soul? And about 50% of our congregation answers that four, uh, 15 minutes a day, I do something, I read my Bible, I pray, I read a devotional, I listen to a podcast or a sermon, about 15 minutes a day. Second question is, how much effort do you make? It was interesting uh, the way this fell out. 33% said, I'm diligent about pursuing spiritual growth. I'm really committed to certain practices that are good for my soul. Uh, 34% said, I want to grow. I really do. But I do very little to encourage it. I'm not as diligent as I should be. 30% said, I'm very inconsistent at doing what it takes to grow spiritually. Probably want to, but I'm, I'm just inconsistent at it. 1% uh, indicated, I'm not even interested. Not even interested in trying. And I appreciate, appreciate the honesty. But what, what struck me is, of the six character traits of Jesus, I was struck by the one that was the most popular, that they got the most response. Would you be interested to know what it is? 39%, almost 40% said, I'd really like to learn more about being devoted, giving myself to practicing greater devotion, and asking God to be at work in my life regarding my level of devotion. And of that 40%, those who chose divided, 65% that they were said that I'm kind of moderately devoted. I, I, like I want to be and I try, but I'm probably pretty inconsistent. I thought that was very interesting. I was intrigued that this one was by far and away the one that was of most interest to the most people. And I was kind of curious, like, I wonder what, I wonder what drove that interest. And so, I mean, what was, what, why was that character trait so popular? Of the other six, well, why was that one so popular? What in most people's minds is devotion? Like, what were you thinking when you answered the question? Like, what's your definition of that? And what does this reveal about the desires of people's hearts? Now, I'm very interested in this as a pastor. Like, what's going on in the hearts of the people who attend our church? And you know what? I was very encouraged. Because it demonstrated this unique desire for a greater level of devotion. And any time that we are able to at least identify what our desires are, that's a good indicator of what God is up to in your life. 
There's a fascinating passage of scripture in the book of Philippians. The apostle Paul writes, says, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence when he was around, but now much more that I've been absent, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to be diligent at trying to figure out what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus and what that looks like. Work out your salvation. And he uses this interesting phrase with fear and trembling, meaning you're doing it with a tremendous amount of seriousness. You're very, very committed to this. It's very urgent or important to you. For, look at this, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that those desires that you have to pursue spiritual growth are actually a work of God in you. That you even want to do it. So as your pastor, I was very encouraged that we have a congregation that is at least interested in and pursuing this idea of greater devotion. So let's, let's talk about that. I'm really curious how the survey would have fallen out if I had used a different word than devoted. In fact... I'm curious how the survey would have fallen out if I had used the biblical word for devotion. It might have changed the, the, the survey results completely. You see, the biblical word for devoted is the word holy. And my experience of being a pastor now for 35 years is that most people, when they get around the word holy, they get a little weirded out. They kind of think that, well, that's not for me. For most Christians, we misunderstand drastically what the word holy is about, and we largely dismiss it as having any kind of relevance to our lives personally. We think of the word holy as something that's impossible. That that's, that's in a whole other league. The word holy is to, it's like for a select few Christians who are particularly serious about their faith at a whole other level, a whole le other level of spiritual maturity. And it's just not really approachable for us who are just, you know, normal human beings. For most Christians, when we hear the word holy, we think that's for other people. That's, that's for a unique person like monks and missionaries and pastors and priests. But it's not for me. And because we conclude I'm not a monk or I'm not a missionary, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a priest, then the word holy doesn't really apply to me and I don't have to really bother with it. And I'm here this morning to tell you that couldn't be further from the truth. So I want to show you a couple of interesting passages of scripture that I think are very instructive about the topic of holiness. First Peter chapter 1 
Peter writes, with minds that are alert, like aware of what's going on around you, and fully sober, like serious about the things that are happening in your world, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived apart from Christ and your ignorance about all of that. Look at this. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Because it's written in the, the foundational passages of the Old Testament. Be holy because God is holy. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, set apart for Christ's purposes, called to be his what? His holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All Christians of all time called to be God's holy people. 1 Thessalonians, for God did not call us to be impure. He called us to live a holy life. Paul writes to young pastor Timothy, uh, he's saved us and he's called us, he's invited us, he's beckoned us to a holy life. Peter asked the question, what kind of people ought we to be as Christians? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Yeah, you know what's interesting about those passages of scripture? Do you know what's interesting? None of them, none of those passages that we just read, none of them were written to monks, missionaries, pastors, or priests. Each one of those verses were written to Christians. People who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their savior and taken up the call to become a disciple of his. It's written to us. We are to be holy people. But what does that mean? In most people's minds, holiness means absolute moral purity. And that's not what it means at all. If you look at a short list of items throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that are declared to be holy, you'll see that none of them had anything to do with being morally pure. Here, here's a list of things in the Bible that are announced to be holy. Landmarks. There's a mountain that was referred to as the holy mountain. How can a mountain be morally anything? Cities, the city of Jerusalem was referred to as a holy city. It's bricks, mortar, stone. It can't be moral. Holidays were announced. Celebrations were announced to be holy. Certain foods were holy. Some clothes were holy. Buildings were, be, were holy. And rooms within those buildings. You had the temple. The temple was a holy place. There was the holy, um, there was the place of holiness. And then there was the, another room that was the holy of holies. So as you move through the temple, things got 
holier. <laughs> How is that possible? Furniture in the temple was referred to as holy. Utensils, individuals were referred to as holy people. Groups of people were referred to as holy people. If you know anything about your Bible in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the Jews, were God's holy people. Have you ever read the story? They weren't very holy people all the time. They weren't morally pure most of the time. There were scrolls, like written, um, written passages of Scripture. They were holy. There were certain words in the Hebrew language that, was, that were holy. How can a word be morally pure? In fact, um, the word for God in the Old Testament, one of the words for God, names for God, is Yahweh. It's four Hebrew consonants. It was considered to be the most holy word. It was the word for God. In fact, the Jews weren't even allowed to say the word Yahweh. In fact, when they were translating and um, describing the scriptures, when a scribe came to the word Yahweh... He'd been writing with a pen. He gets to the word Yahweh. He'd have to throw the pen away, get a brand new pen, write these four Hebrew sacred letters, throw the pen away, and start over with a new one because the word was so holy. So what, what makes it holy? You see, nothing about anything on that list had anything to do with morally pure. It was all about it being categorically distinctive or different. You see, in the minds of most people, holiness means perfect moral purity. But in the mind of God, holiness means set apart for a particular purpose. You see, some clothes were set apart for a particular purpose. Some foods were set apart for a particular purpose. Some mountains were set apart for a particular purpose. Some people were set apart for a particular purpose. Some words were set apart for a particular purpose to be the name of God in writing. Holiness has to do with being distinct or distinctive, recognizably different in nature from something else of a similar type. This is so important to understand that while a garment of clothing may be included on the racks with all of the other clothing identical to it, one article of clothing was removed and it was set apart and it was now determined to be holy. You could, you could go to the bakery and you could buy dozens of loaves of bread. But if a priest came and he chose one loaf of bread and he took it and he placed it in service in the temple, it was now holy bread. Not any different than all the others except for its purpose. Bowls, pitchers, utensils of all kinds. The, the, the potter would have made hundreds of bowls, but one of them was selected to be used in the worship of God. It now had a holy purpose. Does that make sense? So the word holy means set apart or to be separate, to be different or distinct. In fact, the word holy means to set apart from something, from all the others, to something else. That's where the nature of purpose comes in. 
So what you have is you have like those things and these things. You have all these clothes, you have all these pictures, you have all these bowls, you have all these mountains, you have all these cities, and they're common, they're popular, they're familiar, they're, they're usually in the majority, but to be holy is, well, these are these things, they've been set apart to be uncommon or rare, unique, they are often in the minority. Are you following this? Okay, I'm going to put a statement on the screen. See what you feel about it. See, see if you agree with it or not. Every two years, one of the largest gatherings of the most holy people on the planet comes together to compete in the Olympic Games. And some of you are like, all right. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? The most holy people on the planet come to compete together in the Olympic Games. You're calling Olympians holy people? Paul, do you know that, that many of them don't even believe in God? How, how could they be holy? Many of them, they don't have faith in Jesus Christ as their savior. How, how could they be holy? You have Olympians that, certainly there's ones who believe in other, other religions, others' faith, and they don't believe in God or Jesus or the scriptures, and, and they're far afield of the gospel. How could they be holy? And Paul, certainly as, as, as amazing as they may be as athletes, some of them choose lifestyles that are completely contrary to the nature and the character of God. How in the world could they be holy people? Well, because I'm using the word the way it was intended to be used. It isn't about morally pure. It's about a level of devotion. It's about set apart for a purpose. I, I, I've always thought and admired Olympians as being some of the most devoted people on the planet. I mean, talk about a level of devotion. Many of them distinguish themselves when they're just children. And they're recognized for their unique ability. And then they're literally separated for a purpose to pursue the Olympic dream. And they, they, they give their lives to one singular pursuit. I mean, you talk to most or talk about most Olympic athletes and they have a singular focus for 15, 20, 30 years of their life. All they think about is making it to the Olympics and winning an Olympic gold medal. It is literally all that they think about. Serious discipline. The things that they do every day, every single day, they give themselves to their particular skill or craft. I watched a, a short interview with Michael Phelps the other day. Michael Phelps, a much decorated Olympic swimmer. And he was telling the story that for six years, there was a stretch in his life, for six years, he swam thousands of yards every single day. Every single day. He didn't miss a holiday. He didn't miss for a birthday. He didn't miss because he was sick. Every single day for six years, he swam. Because he believed, he and his coaches believed, that for every day that he missed, it was like losing two. And for every other athlete who was taking a day off now and then, he was putting 
work in the bank. That's serious discipline. Significant sacrifice. Some of these young people, they, they leave their parents and their home for months, weeks, sometimes years on end. They don't eat the things that other people eat. They don't have the habits that other people have. While everybody else is doing their life this way, an Olympic athlete is doing their life this way. Why? Because they're devoted. Or what the Bible would say, they are holy. They've been set apart for the quest to win an Olympic gold or to represent their country as an Olympic athlete. Uh, uh, did you follow that? That is what it means to be holy. Uh, here's an interesting, we've been hearing this all our lives as Christians, but we, have you ever considered what it's about? In Exodus chapter 20, God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it, what? Holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. So what was it about the seventh day? What made it holy? What made it holy is that Christians and followers of God, people of faith, were to separate that seventh day apart as being for a particular purpose, unlike the other six days. The other six days is common. It's the work that we do. On the seventh day is the day that we rest and we give our souls to those practices that God can restore us spiritually. It's not to be like, it's not to look like, feel like, sound like, act like the other six days of the week. Why? Because it's holy. And he's instructing us, do whatever it takes to protect the Sabbath from all the other days so that its unique purpose is not threatened. Something is holy when it is set apart from that which is common to exist for an uncommon purpose. You ready? No, you ready? Something is holy when it's set apart for that which is com from what that which is common to exist for an uncommon purpose like Christians. Christians are holy when they're set apart from that which is common the way that everybody else lives their life to exist for an uncommon purpose. You, me, you are a child of God. You've been set apart for a purpose, a sacred purpose. You, me, we are ambassadors of heaven on earth we're a witness to the gospel. That is our unique calling and purpose. Look, it's, it's, it bleeds through the scriptures. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, it just becomes like all the other salt that's been used. How, how can it be made salty again? It can't. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You... You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then Jesus says, in the same way, 
disciple of Jesus. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your unique purpose is to be a light. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. For he chose us, like selected you. He selected us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Peter writes, but you, church, you Christians, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. One of our teachers this summer is going to talk to you about a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Over and over and over again, the invitation of the scriptures is that we as Christians, we are to be distinct in purpose. That's, that's different beliefs. That, that's different morality. I, I don't know if you notice, but we have a culture around us that's cramming their beliefs and their moralities down our throat every chance they get. And I'm watching Christians, I'm watching the church just follow after because we don't, we don't, we want to be love. But we are to be distinct and different in what we believe and the morality that guides our lives, different sets of values. Christians, we have things that are more important to us that may be different than what's most important to other people in the world. Different priorities, different attitudes, different behaviors. So holy means devoted. So to pursue holiness is to pursue a devotion to Christ. And, and what does that look like? Well, uh, let me give you three suggestions. First of all, it's about being devoted to the place of God in my life. Uh, who is God to you? And where does he rank in order of priority? Now, be honest. You don't, you don't have to answer to me. You don't have to say anything out loud. But, like, be honest. Where does God fit? You ready? Are you ready? Where does God fit in relationship to your kids? Where does God fit in relationship to your boss or your job? Where, where does God fit in relationship to your finances? Where does God fit in relationship to your friends? Where does God fit in the list in relationship to your, to your hobbies? To, to our, my hobbies, my friends, my kids. That's why Jesus said... It needs to be at the top. Seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, his rule, his place of authority and his righteousness and, and all these other things about your life, they'll, they'll be given to you as well. But the Christian is to seek first the kingdom of God. And then later, later he says, um, no one can serve two masters. You can't, you can't have more than one king. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. It just won't be as important to you. And he says, well, you can't serve both God and serve money. You just can't. So the first step of pursuing devotion is figuring out where is God fit in my life? Is he at the top or does he get relegated down here in the lower echelons of all the other things that I think are more important? Secondly, devoted to the priorities of God for my life. Like, do I understand what God's called me to do and, and how he's asked me to live? Paul writes to the church of Philippi, whatever were gains to me, and he had a lot socially, he was the big man on campus. He was, he was the greatest of all time when it came to being a Jew, a religious and dedicated Jew. I now consider all that. That's a loss to me for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I, I've lost all things. I, in fact, I consider all those other things garbage. Because what I want is to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I mean, just listen to these words. I, I want to know Christ, Paul says. That's what I want. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And then look at this. Not that I've already obtained this, he's saying. I've not already arrived at my goal, but devoted. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Do you know why Christ took hold of you? Have you ever figured it out? Paul says, I, I want to know why Christ got involved with me. What was he up to? Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, singular focus, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Oh, church, there's something that I'm seeing more and more and more in all sorts of expressions about the church, and it just breaks my heart. And that is the desire for popularity over purity. To truly live lives dedicated and devoted to Jesus Christ when our culture and everything around us is trying to lure us and seduce us away from it. And we're suckers for it, and we chase after it, and we follow after it because we want the approval. I just wrote these things out, so I just say them the way that they need to be. The problem with many contemporary Christians is they don't want to be different from their friends, their peers, their neighbors, or their society. Some, they just want to live the exact same way as everybody else. Some just don't want to be singled out from anybody else. I just want to go with the flow. I don't want to draw any attention. Many Christians just want to fit in with everybody else. So they choose to live lives just like everybody else. So as not to draw any attention to their faith in Jesus. The pursuit of holiness is a diligent discipline to forsake anything in my life that is incompatible with, with how God asked me to live. 
The pursuit of holiness is a diligent discipline to devote myself to everything that is consistent with how God asked me to live my life. I mean, just can't be said any more clearly, Hebrews. Make every effort. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. And thirdly, to be devoted is to be devoted to the practices that honor God through my life. What, what should I be doing that brings God glory? Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, whether it be sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is just idolatry because of these things. The wrath of God is coming but you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived back when you were common amongst all the other people who didn't have a place for God. But now you must get rid of yourselves, get also rid yourselves of all things as these anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off the old self that's practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience bear with each other you know what that is Just putting up with one another's stuff bear with each other you'll get that all later forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you over all these virtues Put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And whatever you do, whether we're talking the words that you speak or the deeds that characterize, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. That's, that's what it is to be holy. So, so I'll leave you with this question. In what area of your life, what area of my life, can I pursue a deeper devotion to my commitment of following Jesus? Only you can answer that. And, and I encourage you, take the time this week to prayerfully ask God through his spirit to be at work in your heart and wrestle with the question, in what area of my life could I be more devoted? Don't just rest on the Lord. Well, I got a couple of these things figured out. I'm good here. Okay, then let's go deeper. Deeper in devotion. For the God who called you is holy. Be holy like he is. It's a lot to think about, isn't it? I hope you will. Let me ask you to stand together. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, please see me at the end of the service. Come up and introduce yourself. I'd love to make your acquaintance. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you've made it crystal clear. There's, there's no 
There's no wiggling our way out of it. You've invited us to be holy. To be deeply devoted to Christ as the Lord of our life. You've called us to these things. Now I pray, Father, through the gracious work of your Holy Spirit and each of us who claim to be Christians, that you will be at work in our heart and our mind. Convict us, guide us, show us how we might pursue a greater devotion to you as the Lord of our life. I pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great week.